a firm believer that God calls us each individually to do different things. He just calls us. Some of you are sitting here right now and you're feeling called to partner with Young Life or YWAM or World Missions. Or maybe some of you will feel eventually in your life, man, I should just help out at South Beach Church. What's going on there? You guys need some help in Sunday school? You need help something? Something's going on. God will give you a call for your life to better other people. Yesterday we had a celebration of life for Carol Corwin. She's with Jesus. And as I showed up to the grounds yesterday, the service was at 11, and I showed up about 10.30, and things were all set up, and I just was, I was, I was full of joy. It was, crazy, it was crazy. And I almost felt a little guilty. I was like, man, I shouldn't probably be this happy, you know? But I believe Carol's in heaven. I know she's in heaven. And when I saw Kevin, her husband, he was the first person I saw, he came to my office, and he kind of looked happy and full of joy. And I just looked at him in my office, and I said, man, I can't believe we're doing this. We're having your wife's memorial right now, right now, and yet she's in heaven, bro, and we have to do this. This is a necessary hurdle in the race that we're in. We can't avoid it. There's things in life that you just can't avoid. You've got to go through. But how you go through those things depends on what you're looking to. And Kevin and I are both looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And when people move to Cyprus, they're looking to Jesus. When people go to Montana, they're looking to Jesus. And when you face your trials this week, hopefully you're looking to Jesus. Some people shared yesterday at Carol's memorial service, and one of the common themes was how Carol cared for other people. Carol was on staff here at South Beach Church. She got sick about three years ago and couldn't work for us any longer. We continued to pay her until she died. We loved her. We supported her. And one of the reasons why she got hired on staff here is because she cared for the building. She was our custodian. But she didn't just look at the floors. She did real good at that, by the way. She looked up, and she saw people. And people shared yesterday about how Carol saw them and she would see what's going on in their lives and would call them out of hiding in the shadows and the darkness and into fellowship. And she was a shepherd. She loved people because she knew her king. And if you didn't know Carol or Kevin, they lived in South Beach before they came to church here. They actually lived homeless. They were crackheads living in a tent somewhere in South Beach, far from the fold of God. And they heard that there was free food at a warehouse. Okay? It's called church. And so they showed up to get some free food. And Jesus saved their souls, changed their lives. I just got came, I look, I look at them still to this day. I'm like, man, if Jesus can change them, he can change anybody. If Jesus can commission them or commission Tyler Riles or Kevin Caseda or Luke Frechette or any of us, man, there is hope for this crazy world. God can save from the uttermost to the guttermost, and that's what he does. This is good news. This isn't just a club. We're not just showing. I went to church today. Man, church is not something you go to. It's something you are. It's expressive. It's a purpose. You are that warehouse. You're that, that place of safety and solace. Listen, okay, in time of need and when there's hurdles in front of you, unfortunate hurdles. At the end of the first service, I prayed with a family who's gone through a series of unfortunate of events. And it's not getting any better. I said, how you doing? <laughs> Tears. <laughs> oh, whoops. Sorry for asking. And I was able to give to them the comfort of God. In the peace of God, in the hurdle, in the stuff, in the difficulty. And God has a plan. And as I sat there in my office with Kevin Corwin, as we were about to plan and go through his wife's memorial, we both sensed God's pleasure in our faith, that we trust him, that we believe in him. Did you know that all of this, okay, is a gift from Jesus to you? He purchased all this for you. He did all of this. In your stuff, Jesus is there now, and he changes lives. 
If it weren't so, I wouldn't be here today. It's super sunny out. I'd be somewhere else. Amen? Why would you be in a warehouse with a bunch of other weirdos if that weren't the truth? Okay? I got a car to wash, man, and a lawn to mow and stuff to do. But instead, God says, hey, I, I do bigger things. You want to be a part of that? Yeah, I'd like to. Yeah. Lord, I'm kind of a knucklehead. I'm kind of a, a mess. Can you use me? But I don't really know everything. As a matter of fact, I don't know a lot. But is there room for me on the team? And the Lord puts calls on people's lives and says, get over yourself and get into the race. There will be hurdles. I'm not going to lie to you. But it's purposeful. Every single person, every single person in this life will suffer. Okay? Those who are Christians will suffer with purpose, with resources, with power. There are those who will suffer in this world without those things because they have not met Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, I don't want to digress from where we're at right now in this moment, but today's St. Patrick's Day, is it not? Happy St. Patty's Day. Okay. How many of you guys wore green on purpose? Okay. How many of you guys did not wear green? You abstained on purpose. Okay. I've already been pinched once. Don't pinch me. It's St. Patty's Day. It's crazy because our country goes nuts over St. Patty's Day. Okay. Right around a quarter million, uh, $250, $250 million is spent on beer today. Uh, Eight million cards are exchanged. Happy St. Patty's Day. Here's a card, you know. And, and there's uh, 250,000 people will march in the St. Patrick's Day parade, while over a million, two and a half million, will watch the St. Patrick's Day parade. And all of this stuff happens. Did you know that green was not even associated with St. Patrick's Day until right around the year 1600? You guys might know this, but St. Patrick, that's not even his real name. Andy's not Irish. St. Patrick, his real name was Maywin Sukkot, and he was born in Britain, okay? His Christian name was Patricius, and so they call him St. Patrick, and St. Patrick's Day, St. Patty's Day, sounds way better than St. Sukkot or St. Sucky's Day, you know? You know, happy St. Sucky's Day, you know, it's like St. Patty, Sucky, you, know, you see that? Anyways, so St. Patty's Day, so his, he's not even an Irish guy, he's a British guy, and our whole, nobody knows this stuff, unless you've researched it. You're not going to learn this stuff. You're just going to know green, leprechauns, pinch me, give me a, ba a beer, you know. It's the American way. And I would just tell you his story, because actually it's fascinating. St. Patrick was like Kevin Caseda, like Tyler Riles, like Carol Corwin. He had his life radically changed. No explanation. And he volunteered to be a missionary. His life started in Britain, Britain, Rome, in the year 346 A.D., he was a Christian, at least a Christian boy. His dad was a deacon. His grandpa was a priest. He actually, let me back up. He wasn't a Christian. He was just a part of a Christian home. You ever been that kid before? I might have known a kid like that once or twice. And as a 15-year-old, he was in the woods chopping some trees, and some Irish marauders, some pirates from Ireland, abducted him and sold him into slavery. He was human trafficked back in 300 A.D. And they took him to Ireland, and he lived there from a 15-year-old to right on a 21-year-old in poverty, in the woods, in nakedness, in cold. Can you imagine the conditions, even the best conditions, like a Motel 6 back in Ireland in the year 400 A.D.? Like, it'd be gnarly. Imagine if you were a slave. Imagine if you had been abducted. Imagine if you lived amongst the pagan druids who didn't reckon their own life as valuable, let alone the lives of their slaves. He did this for six years. During those six years, guess what? He became a believer. He remembered his dad's faith. How? how? Through a trial. A hurdle. He had nothing, and Jesus ministered to him. And his story, he writes it down before he died. He would spend all day praying because he couldn't sleep at night in nakedness and cold. He would spend all night praying, and he loved Jesus, and he served in that way, and he was ready to die on that island until one day he received a vision while he slept. And the vision went this way. Your hunger has been heard. Your prayers have been received. 
and your ship has come. And he woke up. He's like, what the heck was that? And he began to walk 200 miles as a slave. He escaped, and he went to the shores there of Ireland where a boat on its way to Britain was passing by. Miraculously, after a 200-mile journey, he was able to get on that boat as a runaway slave and go back to Britain. Woo! Freed! He got reunited with his family, and life was amazing. He went into the ministry and became a priest and became a pastor. And while he was doing that, he received another vision, and it was a vision of Jesus. And Jesus' love for those Druid pagans that beat him and that were cruel to him and that ruined his life. And Jesus showed him in a vision. I, I love those Irishmen. I love those guys. And his heart broke. And he volunteered. He said, can I, you guys, would anybody mind if I go back to Ireland and meet up with my captors and tell them Jesus loves them? And everyone said, you're nuts, dude. You can't do that. Why would you do that? Because I've been delivered and saved, and they have not, and I must go back. And he was commissioned radically to go back to Ireland. And when he got to Ireland, he began to tell people about Jesus. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, people believed. And churches were planted that multiplied and planted other churches in the entire country of Ireland. The entire island itself was Christianized. And pagan Druism was pushed out of, when it says that he pushed the snakes out of Ireland, it wasn't actual snakes. It was code word for pagan idolatry and craziness. And Christians were born again. And history tells us he actually translated, can you imagine the work, translated the Bible into their language and culture and lived among them. Legend, history, tells us that when he went to his captor, the one who had taken him and had treated him harshly, his captor with such shame resisted that relationship and would not meet with him, but instead went into his own house and set it on fire and died. There was too much shame in his life. And when I read that part of the story, I'm like, ew. I told it to my wife. She's like, ew. It's like, should I just keep that part out? And I, but it just reminded me of the truth in conflict. See, everyone has a decision to make. When the truth comes your way, what are you going to do? The tr are you going to submit to the truth and be saved? Or are you going to hear the truth, resist, lock yourself in your own shadows in doubt, and like Judas, who we've been studying, take your own life or like this unnamed captor? unwilling to let Jesus forgive you, to set you free, to change your life according to his book, according to what it says in this story. Because you got your own narrative in your head, don't you? You got your own narrative from what you've learned, what school taught you, what CNN teaches you, what Fox News tells you. You got your own narrative. Listen, all of that is superseded by this narrative. And Jesus comes into your life and he changes everything. And he tells you to go back and forgive that person, or he tells you to volunteer your life, or like our story today where Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prays to the Father, and he says, hey, there's a cup in front of me. Is there any other way that this cup can be dealt with? Any other? No. Not my will, thy will be done. And Jesus grabs that proverbial cup, which is full of God's wrath, and he takes it upon himself. We all respond to truth differently. And as I'm just sitting here, I, I love St. Patrick's Day, I really do. Because it allows us to redeem what's going on. I, I, I wish, and you guys do now, people knew St. Patrick. They knew the story. Man, that, guy's, that, guy's, that guy's a saint. You know, that, guy's, that guy's gnarly, man. That guy went after it. He didn't say no to anything, and he was available in the way that God wanted him. I would say it this simply in a nutshell. This can 
And, and it may be the same story that every person here on earth shares. We're all born into slavery. We've all sinned and been separated from God, but he sustains us and he pursues us just like he's pursued Patrick there in his isolation. And then once we are saved, he commissions us. He says, can I use your life? There's other people out there. Not everyone knows yet. I need you to be a voice. I need you to be a voice of reason. I need you to be a volunteer. Will there be hurdles involved? Yeah. Will there be bugs? Yeah. You think there's bugs in Cyprus? For sure. Better bring your mosquito repellent. Will there be marauders and pirates? Yeah. Will there be separation and difficulty? Will I have to bury my loved ones? Yeah. Well, how can I trust you? And that's where we look to the narrative that supersedes all narratives. And we see Jesus Christ. If you've been with us in this study, we're in the last hours of Jesus' life. It's called the Passion of the Christ. He just finished the Last Supper, the final Passover Seder. It's over now. Judas Iscariot, his betrayer, has 30 pieces of silver in his pocket. Peter, one of his best friends, has just been told, unfortunately, you're going to deny me. He's got deniers, he's got betrayers, and the rest will desert him. And Jesus, at that moment in time, does what we're going to study next. Now, zoom in. I could teach this in two different ways. It's the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. I could teach it and put a bunch of prayer points on us. This is what we need to do as people now, how we should pray and ought to pray and not enter into temptation and so many things that we could apply to our own lives, and we'll do that. We'll do that. But primarily what we do is we study this portion and we worship Jesus because of what he did, the way he prayed, the way that he marched, the way that he submitted, the way that he bore that cup for you and for me. Oftentimes we look at the Bible as utilitarian, how can I apply this to my life? I need help today. I need a shovel. I need a pickaxe. I need a snowblower. I need some stuff, right? I need some stuff. But the first thing you do is you apply this to who God is and what God has done. How glorious is my Savior, the lion and the lamb? Okay, we'll get to what we do in our lives and how we respond and what God has given to us later, but we first bask in order that we might then respond, and we bask in who God is. I'm going to read the story, then pray, and then we've got two minutes left to preach. I kid. I kid. Verse 39. Coming out. Dinner's over. Coming out. He went to the Mount of Olives, as he was accustomed. And his disciples also followed him. And when he had come to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down, and he prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And at that time, an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and had come to the disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. And then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Would you bow your heads and would you pray with me quickly? Lord, your word has been read. You promised us, Lord, through the preaching of your word that some would be saved and that we would be edified, that your word would search our hearts and that it would water our souls in order that we would have what we need for today and beyond. 
So Jesus, may your word have its rightful way and place in our lives today. We need your graces for this time. We trust you for what you're going to do. Give us hearing hearts right now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Jesus now, under duress and stress and betrayal and denial, comes out of dinner and goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke doesn't call it the Garden of Gethsemane. Mark does. Matthew does. John does. We know where he's going. Luke helps us to understand he goes to the place where he was accustomed. This is where Jesus went to pray. You could make a note there. Jesus had a place to pray. In our study, we see he had a posture of prayer. He practiced prayer. He had the purpose of prayer. All these things you could ascertain from the text here. And Jesus leads his boys to pray. The Mount of Olives. Do you have a, a slide, Esai? Someone in the booth, maybe you can put that slide up there. You could show, show a picture. I want you guys to see what, what this might look like as Jesus would rise up from dinner and leave Jerusalem into the Garden of Gethsemane. It'll come up in just a minute. As he would leave this uh, place, this is the place that he left. There's the Dome of the Rock Mosque. It's the central figure of the picture. That wouldn't be there 2,000 years ago. Uh, to the left of the Dome of the Rock Mosque, all the way is the steps, almost off the screen outside of the wall. Those are the southern steps. I've actually got a sunburn there one time preaching a sermon, and uh, Jesus would walk up those southern steps to the temple. Uh, after dinner, though, to the right of the Dome of the Rock Mosque, right along that wall, is the eastern gate. It's kind of the high place there along the wall. It's boarded up or uh, concreted up in this picture. That's where Jesus rode in on Palm Sunday, the eastern gate. I believe he would have left that eastern gate and gone down that valley, right down that hillside through all of those lines, those columns and rows. That would be the Kidron Valley. He would then come up the other side to the bottom corner of the picture, which is the Mount of Olives. Don't think Mount Rainier, Mount Rushmore, Mount St. Helens. It's a little hillside right across the Kidron Valley where there were olive trees. It's the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives, right where that tree line starts on the bottom right-hand side of the picture, is where the Bible says that the Messiah will return upon his second coming and plant his feet, and there'll be an earthquake, and that eastern gate will split wide open, and he'll cruise right through there, and the dead will be raised, and woo it's going to be nuts. That's where it's all going down. Jesus, though, coming out of that eastern gate, would go down that hillside through the Kidron Valley. You can take the picture down. Kidron literally means murky or dark, just a small little creek. At times it would even dry up, and Jesus would lead his boys by night, the moon out, March or April, it was actually April, uh, during that particular Passover, and Jesus would go down that Kidron Valley, and as he stepped over the water, as the Passover feast was underway, 250,000 lambs would have their lives sacrificed. That's a lot of lambs. 200, Josephus gives us the number, 250,000 lambs would have their necks slit, their blood captured and then poured out and their offerings given to the Lord and the water would flow from the temple through the Kidron Valley which made the water not just murky and dark but water and blood. And Jesus here on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas is gone swinging a deal with the high priest and the Roman guards. Peter is standing there wondering, am I really going to deny the Lord? The rest will desert him. And Jesus sees the blood and the water from the lambs and no doubt thinks to himself, I'm next. I'm going to the cross. And as he would step over that Kidron Valley and go up into the Mount of Olives, he would go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane literally means olive press. 
where they would press the olives and they would extract the oil from these olives, making olive oil. And the only way to get oil from an olive is to press it, to crush it, to grind it, and to tear it apart. And Jesus went to that Garden of Gethsemane knowing that the oil from his own offering that is salvation, the Holy Spirit. Everything that we need could only come through his suffering and his death and his own soul being crushed. I've been to that Garden of Gethsemane twice there on the Mount of Olives. Matter of fact, if you go there today, there are olive trees still in the garden that their root base is right around from this pedal board all the way to the piano over here. These olive trees, they're so big, they're low, but they're like bushes and trees. They're just grown wider and wider and through all of the wars and all the chaos, and they're still there. And they assume and guess that these are some of the same root systems that Jesus was there when he sweat great drops of blood and a million tourists year go through there so along the garden of gethsemane there's these signs that say please don't pick the leaves because there's not quite a million leaves on these trees so i remember i was walking through there and when you see a sign that says don't do something what's the first thing you try and do that thing you're like well is there a step stool you know and you can't reach nothing and i remember i was walking through the garden of gethsemane like what and all of a sudden i'm not even i was looking at the leaves and one just broke loose dibs you know and i grabbed that thing and shoved it in my bible in john chapter 17 john chapter 18 where jesus prayed and he bled and he suffered now i, I say that to say this what jesus doesn't do in his darkest days is he doesn't justify some sort of rebellion he doesn't justify some sort of sin he doesn't go ahead and fall into a little bit of carnality. You see, what we tend to do is if there's some suffering or hardship along the way, we give ourselves a little freedom to kind of cast off restraint, don't we? Well, if it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt, I'm going to give myself a little bit of this. If I have to suffer, I'm going to take a little bit more of that. I'm going to go ahead and take care of myself. Jesus does not do that. I, I give it to you as an example. Because if you're weak like me and honest, you would say, yeah, when I get pressed, sometimes I do stupid stuff. Sometimes I just I justify it. I'll just go ahead and binge on this or take that, even though I know I shouldn't. But man, life's tough. Jesus stood after dinner and stepped over the Kidron Valley full of blood and water. And he nodded. I'll be doing that soon. And then he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he asked his boys to pray a stone's distance away. And he went and prayed three separate times. He rises and they're sleeping three separate times. And he kneels in this posture of labor and submission and prayer. Instead of casting off restraint and getting carnal in his time of testing, you know what he does? He prays. I'm going to be honest. This will change everything for you as a mom, as a dad, as a husband, as a wife, as a man or a woman when you are tested. Don't even raise your hand. Are you being tested? The answer is yes. Every single one of you, every single day. You're tested in little things, you're tested in big things. And if you're honest, you have every right to lash out, be a jerk, be hard, be mean. Well, psh, 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 and you fill in the blanks. Or you could be like Jesus, man, when I feel like I'm being tested right now, I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna, I'm gonna labor. I'm gonna accept it. I'm gonna go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane. Did you know that every life in here right now has a series of Gethsemanes? Some of us have more than one, where it is so hard, so difficult. The Bible says while Jesus was here that an angel came and ministered to him. Remember when I read that? And, and, and God ministers to you. 
He'll provide people along the day as you are at work. A verse will come into your messenger. You'll hear a sermon on the radio. You'll see a rainbow. How many of you guys just freak out when you see rainbows? Okay, Man, I'm not kidding you. God and I have a special deal. When I'm freaking out, he gives me rainbows. I freak out a lot, so we get rainbows all the time here. When you see a rainbow next time, you know that I'm freaking out. Okay, pray for me. And it's so cool, because I'll be freaking out. Oh, 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 the Lord, because he's been so faithful. He has been so faithful. He will not start to be faithless. That's not what he's going to do. I'm all messed up. So are you. I got nothing, okay? He has everything, and he promises us. He sends angels. He sends helpers in your garden of Gethsemane. Jesus here doesn't get carnal and weird. Instead, he takes his disciples with him. Let's go, boys. I believe it's because he instructed them. He told them three times, pray, pray, pray. But then he modeled it because they failed in their prayer. You guys ever gone to pray and next thing you know, you're waking up the next morning? You ever done that before? I'm just going to pray under the covers. We'll see how that goes, you know. And, you know, and you're done. Because our spirits are willing, but our flesh is weak. And Jesus here shows us that. Because he's the hero. Verse 39, coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed. And his disciples also followed him. I like that he had a place to pray. If you don't have a place to pray, you probably won't pray. If you don't know how to pray, you also won't pray. As a matter of fact, how many of you guys are good at something, right? You got, you're, you're good at like something. You're good at like, you know, Microsoft or Excel or you can throw a, a fastball. I promise you, you weren't good at that when you started. You had no clue what you were doing you practiced. Now, now, some of your fly fishermen, you, you couldn't catch a fly. Now you can catch fish with flies. You, you know, you got good at it. And some of you here don't pray. I'm just not good at it. It's, we it's, it's weird when I pray. It's weird. Practice. Practice. Prayer is communication between you and the Lord. He loves you. He has communicated to us through his word. He's given us a lot of text, and he wants us to text back. You ever got a text before and not text back? Man, it's so rude. And God's given to us some text. He loves you. And he wants to hear from you. And there's power in prayer. It changes you. It changes things. I called a woman on Friday. And she's recently lost uh, two family members. And when I call somebody and pray for them on the phone, you know what I can't do? I can't bring the family members back. <laughs> it just doesn't work. Okay. And after the prayer, it was, she was, I, I couldn't see her, but she was visibly different. And so was I after the, the time of prayer. Nothing, nothing changed. She didn't, you know, oh, they're not dead anymore. You know, prayer changes things. In the middle of our Gethsemanes, in the middle of our difficulties, and right now you're suffering of some sort. There's financial stress, there's marital stress, there's, there's, there's parenting stress. And if you're like me, you're a worker, a doer, I'll just show up, man. I'll just get there a little early, figure it out. And the Lord says, why don't you get up early and get on your knees? Pray. Pray. If, if there's pressure going Prayer isn't just to get things, which it is, okay? You get, you get stuff from prayer, it's that. Prayer is also to keep things out. You know that, right? Lord, keep the devil out of my marriage. Or keep the devil away from my kids. How many of you guys lock your house at night? Raise your hand if you lock your house at night. Okay, take note of those with hands down. <laughs> free for all. It's free for all. You know? Come on in. <laughs> you guys lock your house at night. You better lock your house at night. What the heck? And when you pray... For your marriage, your kids, your own eyes, your mind. Okay, it's like putting walls up. Keep the devil out. You got to pray. 
Jesus showed us this, and again, this isn't a whole sermon on prayer. I don't have time for that, but it's there. As a matter of fact, look at verse 40. When he came to the place, he said to them, hey, pray that you may not enter into temptation. He told them to pray. Now, they failed, which gives me great solace, by the way. These are the apostles, not the b-apostles. These are the guys. And if they failed at, at their first attempt, man, if you still stink at your prayer life and your service life, you're just, man, you're, you're a fair-weather follower, you're a Sunday Christian, but you're, ah, I'm such a weakling. Dude, he calls the weaklings. He calls us. And then he perfects his own strength in us. Verse 41. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if it's your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I need you to see this. Jesus is speaking of a cup, and when the Bible speaks of a cup, it refers to the cup of God's wrath. There is indeed a cup between Jesus and the Father, and it is the sins of mankind, one investment, one drop at a time. And when you sin and when I sin, we add to that cup. And it is the wrath of God against a sinful, Christ-rejecting world. There is a cup of God's wrath. It is coming. And here in this garden, Jesus looked at the cup of God's willful and just and due wrath. People don't like that. I thought God was love. First John chapter 4 says God is love. Okay, I love my family. And therefore, if they are in danger, you will see the attribute of love displayed in wrath from Luke Frechette. Because I love my family. Love is not the absence of wrath, okay? It is the controlled evidence of wrath at that which that love is directed towards. And God looks at sin and he says, that destroys my kids. I must judge it. And you and I have a choice with the offenses that we've offered to God. We've made our, that's my investment. I've done that. In the humanistic, self-serving, self-loving, God-rejecting, Christ-ignoring world that we live in today, says, you know what, I'm actually not that bad. I'm pretty good. And when I die, I'm just gonna face a mirror and give myself freedom and say, I forgive you. Saw somebody on Facebook the other day say, I forgive myself. I'm like, tell that to the cops. <laughs> you know, you go to jail, you know. Hey, I just want you to know, judge, that I have forgiven myself. Can I go now? Like, it doesn't work that way. Justice must be served. It's just the way it works. And so God says, you know what? You're either going to face the judgment or you're going to allow Christ to face it for you. You put your faith in him. You put your trust in him. And when Jesus asked this question to the father, Father, is there any other way? The answer is no. There's no other way. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the sacrifice that was slain before the foundation of the world. Notice the language in verse 42. He says, Father, if it be your will. He calls him Father. Paul later on tells us to address God as Abba, which means Daddy. Now, to most of you who are Christians and have been raised in the church. Yeah, Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In that day, nobody called God, Yahweh, Father. In the Old Testament, he's only called Father maybe a dozen times. And it's never between a son and him. It's between the nation of Israel. He is the Father of the nation of Israel. In the New Testament, Jesus shows up. He says, no, he's actually way cooler than that. He's my dad. 
and he's your dad too. And you can address him as such. Now, if you're like me, you were blessed with a great dad, Joe Frechette. You guys know Joe. Great dad. So for me to look at God the Father as a great father, not hard, because I had a great dad. Some of you did not have a great dad. And so there's a disconnect when you look at God as the father who loves you and who cares for you. And actually, I see a, a trend in those who didn't have good dads are now making great attempts and great strides in being the best dads that they could possibly be for their kids. I've seen this. And, and they remember, man, my dad wasn't there for me here, so I'm gonna be there double for you. And we, we do understand, even if you didn't have that privilege of a great dad in your life, you do have an imagination or a deep desire of what a great dad would be. Your father in heaven says, I'm all that. I am all that for you. I am for you, not against you. I know best. I know more than you. You who are good dads or good moms here, you know your love for your children. Do you not have undying love for your kids? Do you not want the best for them? Do you not fear for them? Do you not care for them? Do you not plan for them? Do you not hope for them to excel and exceed everything you've ever been able to have or do? Don't, don't you want the best for them? Let me ask you this question. How many times, though, mom and dad, have your children doubted that belief in you? How many times have your kids looked at you and said, Dad, you're the worst. Dad, you hate me. Dad, you're so mean. And you as dads are like, I'll show you mean, you know. But your, your kids don't always know that about you, do they? I've got three kids. I've got a seven, nine, and 11-year-old. And from time to time, they think I'm out to get them. And I'm going to be honest, like 100% of the time, I'm out for them, not to get them. I want them to have an amazing life. And as their dad, I make the rules. This is what we're doing. This is where we're going. This is what we're not doing. And that's where we're not going. That's how it is. Most of the time, they get it. Other times, <sighs> something within them rebels. Doesn't want to do it. Jesus here says, hey, hey, dad, I know I'm here on mission because I'm before time. And before time began, before we, before we created everything together, Genesis 2, before we did this, okay, we made a decision that I would be that lamb. I, I know the plan, but I just, I just want to have that conversation with you one more time, Dad. This, this is the only way, right? There's no other way to get, get the family saved. Got to do it, don't I? And the dad would nod and say, you got to do it, son. You came for this. This hurdle of death Jesus at that point would begin to bleed out of his face. It's called hematridosis, where stress and pressure and emotional trauma leads to the capillaries in your eyes and your forehead bursting and sweating blood. It's very uncommon. Not many people ever get to that point of duress. This is on the way to the cross. If it were me, it'd be Jesus leaves dinner, goes to the cross, goes to the garden. Because God loves gardens. Do you know it all began in a garden? The Garden of Eden. Garden. God the Garden of Eden. Where God had fellowship with his kids, the father, his son, his daughter. Yeah, this is going to be great. Until there was sin, rebellion, and folly. And that garden became tainted, and that is our existence now. The ground was cursed. Thorns came out. Jesus now, thousands of years later, in the Garden of Gethsemane, on the ground, about to bear the thorns of the earth upon his forehead, blood coming out, 
Everything that happened in the Garden of Eden was being paid for, the wrath of God. All the curse was being reversed. Did you know there's a future garden too? There's three gardens in the Bible. The Garden of Eden, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden of the New Jerusalem, the new future, the heaven and earth that God is bringing to us in the book of Revelation. And God goes all the way to our past, the Garden of Eden, where rebellion and sin showed up. And Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, the oil press, and he bears the sins of humanity. Is there any other way? There is no other way. And he says something very profound. Not my will. Thy will be done. And Jesus models for us in this very verse and the rest of his actions something that's very unpopular in today's day and age. Starts with S, rhymes with omission, and we hates it. Submission. Jesus says, hey, just making sure this is the only way. But no matter what, whatever you want goes. We live in a society that doesn't want to submit to anybody. Okay, we love to be the highest authority in our lives. I get to make my own rules. I decide what I do with my body. I decide what I do with my identity. I decide what I do with my union. I decide what I do. I'm the boss. This is what we love. Okay, I love it too. When I go to eat with you, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to order my own food because I want to. What if we went to dinner, you and I, and we sat down and I grabbed a menu and you grabbed the menu from me? I'll order for you. I would have to submit. Let me just tell you what submission isn't. If we went to dinner and I wanted ice cream and you said you have to get ice cream, that's not submission, okay? In submission, there has to be something in my humanity, okay? You're all human here, right? That says, I don't like that. I don't want that. I don't understand that like my kids do right now currently in their life. I don't, dad, 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 and I know a little bit more than them, just a little bit, okay? I know how things work, been there. And I say, this is how it is because I love you. Would you submit to this? And submission is not popular. We, don't, we want it all perfect. I'm gonna find the easiest path. If it gets hard here, if the marriage gets tough, if this situation in my life is tough, if this thing over here doesn't fit my specific boundaries that I have adopted and that I read a book from somebody and my psychologist said, if it doesn't work, I'm out of here. And yet the Bible teaches submission, okay? On all levels, for all people, for all genders, for all ages. There is submission taught in this book. Why? The Father knows best. He knows what's best. He sees down the road what you don't see. He knows where that takes you. He knows that maybe a simple alleviation from pain and stress now will bring great discomfort and trauma and devastation down the road. He says, don't sever it now. Don't destroy it here. Stay the course. This book speaks to every single one of us, to men, how to live our lives as men, what to do as men, to women, how to live your lives as women and what to do as women. For children, how to live your lives and what to do as children. For employers, for employees, for citizens, for governments. Everybody has a list of to-dos and not to-dos from God. The highest narrative in the world. Yet our culture has gone nuts, has it not? You can find a book on any subject you want. You can find somebody who's been educated beyond their intelligence. You can find a committee group that has a subcommittee group that has a cool logo and a website. We're doing it our own way. We're just going our own way. And Jesus here says, you know what? I'm going to submit to the Father. What's that going to get for you, Jesus? Blood out of my face in a garden? 
Hmm, what happens next? Betrayal, beating, beard out of face, mocking, scourging, crucifixion, and death? Uh, is that really the way of the cross? Is that really the way? Because in America, we can do whatever we want. And the Father says, it's not going to take you where you want to go. It's not going to. If I let my kids choose the meal plans at our house, we would all be diabetics. <laughs> I don't let them choose. You know what I'm saying? If I let them choose what time they go to bed, CDC would be there taking my kids away. Like, they don't get them in. I make the rules. And God says, let me make the rules for you guys. I woke up yesterday. Maybe the day before. I can't remember. I woke up both days, by the way. But anyways. And the Lord spoke to my heart. And he said, Luke, what's going on in our culture today, the brokenness, the chaos, the confusion, the identity issues, every single thing, it, it's, it's out of control. It, it's out of control, okay? I'm not going to give you any simple answers today. It's out of control. It's crazy. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, you know where this came from? Genesis 3, the very first lie. Adam and Eve had everything. The Father gave it to them. And Adam and Eve were hanging out one day. And the devil came up and put an idea in Eve's mind. And the devil said this to Eve. Are you sure that this is the best way? Are you sure that you have enough? Are you sure that God did it right? Did God really say? And she began to think, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. It's an interesting point. Let me go ahead and go outside of the boundary that my God has given to me. Let me make up my own path and let's see what happens. And all hell broke loose. Sin and chaos and pain and disappointment. You see, to me, when I look at the world, the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, darkness, spiritual powers. Okay, there's a confusion amongst our culture. And it's not the people that we're, that we're fighting. I'm not fighting you. You're not fighting me. We're not fighting them. It's not us against them. It's truth against lies. And the first lie that was ever told, guess what, is the same lie that's still being told. There's nothing new under the sun. Right now, God has given to us marching orders in our gardens. You're married, he says, stay married. You're a man, he says, stay a man. You're a woman, he says, stay a woman. Okay, you're single, he says, be single, good. You're a kid, respect your parents. You're a boss, take care of your employees. You're an employee, you better serve your boss. You're a governor, you better manage people well. You're a citizen, you better follow the rules. He gives to us our marching orders. It's actually not that hard. Let me say it this way, though. When Jesus agreed, <sighs> okay, I'll do it. It cost him his life. St. Patrick, I'll go. To where? Ireland. Can't be that bad. Really? <laughs> dude, you might die. The more even missionaries, we'll go. Well, dude, you can't. You'll never come back. Yeah, we know. I'm going to give my life to Jesus. Why? Well, I heard it's a get-rich-quick scheme. What? Where'd you hear that? I'm going to give my life to Jesus. Why would you do that? Because there's a cup of God's wrath that he took. And he bore my sins. And he asks me to live my life for him in submission. Submission. I'm going to tell you something. I'm a man, I'm a husband, I'm a father. I'm a son, I'm a brother, I'm a pastor, I'm a citizen, I'm a friend, I could probably go on. All of those relationships 
that I'm responsible over. Each and every, I'm responsible, okay? In my humanity, I want to spaz out, okay? I want to freak out, get nuts, and I want to be a wild son, a wild friend, a crazy pastor. I'm kind of already a crazy pastor, but I, I want to be, I want to go outside the bounds in, in my humanity. And Jesus looks at me, and the Father looks at me and says, would you, would you submit, though? Would you die, Luke, for your wife? For your kids? Would you die for me? It's that simple. And it changes everything. When you see your Savior doing it first and going to that garden and rising up and his boys lazily sleeping and he exhorts them. Guys, it's time. And he goes to the cross. This is the message of God's love for you demonstrated in his son Jesus and he asks you then to follow let's go die to yourself but they hurt me Lord it's hard Lord I'd rather have ice cream Lord I'd rather go my own way I get it get it the angel appears to minister to him Verse 44, and then being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and he came to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. The reason Jesus could rise is because he first knelt. And I'm so thankful that his spirit is powerful enough here this morning. I wish I could call you later on the phone and hear your problems and pray for you and that they would disappear. I wish I could do that. Or I could fix it. I can't do that. But I can pray for you. That in the midst of your trial, in the midst of your stress, that you would be able to rise like Jesus. And I want to say this because I want you to hear it. I want you to consider it, that you would be able to suffer well. You will suffer. Everyone will. Not all will suffer well. Some will suffer kicking and screaming, throwing things, mad, willful, disobedient, sinful, just suffering like a little two-year-old. Others will suffer with their eyes on Jesus and the fruit of the Holy Spirit in a world of suffering, okay? This isn't a vacation. This isn't a playground. It's a battleground. It's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. And yet I want you to be liberated in your masculinity, in your femininity, in who God has called you to be. Yeah, I can do this. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. It's nothing easy in the Garden of Gethsemane. Is it right? It's very right. Step into it. I'm going to have Pastor Marty come up and lead us in a closing song. We're going to take communion. And as we take communion, we remember Jesus' blood and his body. And we apply it to our own lives. And right now, today, maybe you need to apply it to your singleness. Maybe you haven't been doing singleness very well. You've just been, it's just hard being single, so I'm going to do it my way. Repent. Please, Repent. Just get crazy. Repent. Maybe your marriedness. You're married, but even your marriage is tough. Marriage is tough. 
So I'm going to just be a jerk. I'm going to be a jerk husband. I'm going to be aloof. I'm going to be distant. I'm going to be an ice wife. I'm just going to pull back. I'm going to be mad because it's tough. Can I just, can I, from my heart to yours, repent. Repent. You've not been perfect. You have fallen asleep. Okay? Don't, don't, don't stay down. Don't, don't guilt yourself. Don't, you, you've, you've made mistakes. Repent and let the Lord cleanse you and heal you. If you've not been a perfect mom or dad, join the club. Okay? Repent, though. Man, being a parent so hard, these kids got me just on edge, man. Making my beard turn gray. Repent. Give them all you got. For Jesus. Father, as we submit to you, I would say it's because you've done the heavy lifting. You've done the work. You've made it attainable through the Holy Spirit and through your son Jesus. Through his spilled blood, his broken body. The invitation is free. Anybody and everybody can be saved and forgiven if you would submit. Don't bring your lawyers don't bring your file. Don't bring your excuses. Just, there's too much in the cup for that. And so, Jesus, we submit to you. And we apologize for our weakness, our, our flesh, our humanity, our rebellion, our carnality. We're everything the opposite of you. We're just, we're Adam and Eve 2.0. And yet, Lord, you indeed are the second Adam who rights all our wrongs, who calls us where we're at, and as we come to the table, Lord, we reflect upon all this with soft hearts, grateful spirits. And we ask for a supernatural restoration of mind for the men and the women, the husbands and the wives, the moms and the dads, the old and the young. Restore our minds. Help us to see right. Cleanse us. Even now, that we might take the cup of suffering. That is your will for our lives. We, we would take your, your, your direction from your word. So Holy Spirit, minister to us as we come to the cup. May we look at you. The temptation would be to look at yourself right now as you come to the table and you take the bread and you take the cup that you would remember Jesus. That you would bow down low before him in your mind. That you would surrender to him. That you would applaud him. That you would say, Jesus, not my will, but thy will be done. I will honor you. In my brokenness, in my failure, in my widowness, I will honor you. I will honor you, my king, because you bore my cup. So, Jesus, what we do now, we examine ourselves, we proclaim your death, and we receive from you again, in Jesus' name, amen.